and welcome to Veterans to Success. And today, I've got Jim, Jim Lamont with me today. We're going to find out, Jim, forgive me for no massive introduction. The introduction is the podcast itself. So you'll be telling us all about you. So hello, Jim. Hello, and thank you for introducing me, not as a giant. So <laughs> thank you for that. Okay, you can be a giant if you want. Yes, please. Uh, oh, I am. I am now. I'm a civvy. My God. <laughs> <laughs> right. So listen, uh, Jim, I've... I've we met on LinkedIn because I, I love it for a business network, and we'll be talking about that a bit later on. The fact is, um, we've done a little bit of a chat, and, and I find it fascinating what you did in the military and also what you do now. So tell me about your time be- before the military, just so we can get an understanding of what makes you who you are. Right, before the military. I think the best way to say it was I wasn't a school guy. Um, I was more a girls and having fun guy. You know, of course, as you grow up and you grow older and you notice that everyone's leaving for university and all of a sudden the town seems very empty and you're seeing the same faces and the same places. And I realized that wasn't for me Um, and I had to get out. So I first thing I did was I sold everything I had and I went to America for a couple of months and I went to Chicago. And of course, September 11th happened while I was there. And by that time, I'd already applied to the Royal Navy and I had totally forgotten about it until I got the letter saying, while I was in America, the letter came through saying, you join in October. And I was like, oh, perfect timing, just in time. And so I flew back and within literally two weeks, I was standing at the gates of HMS Rally with a shaved head going, what the hell am I doing? With my, what the hell am I doing here? But what shaped me was the fact that it was that I felt left behind. I felt that I wasn't doing anything Right. new or exciting it was what was it 2001 that i joined and yeah. you could hear a lot of people saying sprog from a long, <laughs> a long while away yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. there you go i've, got, you I've go. got that yeah yeah, yeah and <laughs> but but i remember getting on that train and yeah thinking oh my god what am i what am i doing but i never looked back for the whole time i was at basic training i loved every second of it and i realized it's where i wanted to be and where i had to be for me at that time and uh you know even in the first couple of weeks friends met friends for life you know that's yeah. that's the way that's the way it runs you know you never forget the first guys you and girls you served with and you know to this day you know we're still in contact with quite a few of them and they've all gone on to to, to other things some of them are still in one of yeah. them's just been promoted to warrant officer too so you know that's that's scary in the thought that 20 years ago uh 22 years ago you know these you know people who couldn't even grow a beard are now, uh, are now, uh, you know, in charge of men um, yeah. and women uh, around the world. So, yeah, I think it was the right thing to do for me at the time, and I'm proud that I've done it. And I think, you know, everyone should be. I mean, but um, no, I'm, I'm happier the person it made me within those first eight weeks, definitely. Right, and thanks for that, uh, James. Now, the thing is that you skated over a lot because I know. I know behind those statements, there's a lot. I just want to dig in a little bit deeper because, and, and I noticed it, for for instance, you know, when I joined and then I come home on leave, there, were, there was there was a, a point where at first when I came home on leave, I would meet my friends and go out for a drink. And then hmm. as I started to come home on in the coming years, as, as years advanced, then they all started having... A family getting married, getting 
kids and everything. And then I found that there was nothing left to go back to in that sense. So what, what was the point where you just said Royal Navy is for me? Because because I didn't I didn't see the bit where you applied. I didn't. No, no. Do you know what? I think for me, it was plan Z. There was nothing else I could do. I had hardly any qualifications. I was on the doll. You know, I pulled pulled out of college. Um, I was sitting in a in a in a hostel. You know, I was like going, well, you know, looking at the walls, going, well, this is, you know, I'm not a stupid guy. I'm quite, I can be clever. Yeah. Although other people will will, will beg to differ. Um, um, but I looked at those walls and I just thought, I cannot do this for the rest of my life and just potter along. I can't make do. And that was the time I went to Chatham. I got on the bus an hour. I think it was an hour and a half bus ride to Chatham dockyard and i remember just looking at all the leaflets and i remember (laughs) i remember i thought to myself i want to do something unique i want to do something that i know that once i get there i'll be proud of and maybe i mean this was 2001 this is where i think it was life without limits i think was the uh was the motto and of course you know you get sold on all that but i noticed the submarine service why because it paid more but also it was a it was a small brotherhood. It was a unique people yeah, that joined yeah. that kind of service. I wasn't fit enough to be a commando. Hell no. The army didn't scream at me and the RAF didn't scream at me either. But there's for some reason this, I remember it very clearly, it was um, this leaflet with a submarine coming in. I know now that it's a submarine coming into Helensborough. And I remember looking at that thing going, oh, you know, that's different. Yeah. And uh, and it was unique. And I, so I did some research in the submarine service and I thought, yeah, that's amazing. But I realized that's what I, I wanted. Even if it wasn't the right decision, at least I'd be doing something about sitting in that room. At least yeah. I'd be proactively doing something. And my God, I'm glad I did it because, I, you know, it's it was at a time where it's so it was so hard to get out of that small town trap like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And it was like, you know, no qualifications. There were hardly any jobs, you know, you're lucky to work in a double glazing place selling windows, you know? Um, So yeah, I'm glad I did what I did. Um, And I had to. And and that's interesting because, and I'm glad we explored, we explored that and just did a pit stop on there because, and and isn't it a small world? Because I serve at Brompton Barracks just up the road from Chatham Dockyard. In fact, in fact, it's about a five minute walk, if that. And I was also in Rochester in bomb in the bomb disposal unit there. So what a small world. And uh, yeah, I we used to do stags around Chatham Dockyard as well. So very interesting. So that's where it all started. Yes, I remember it very well. I remember a lot of things about the. I mean, it took so long to get in them those days. It used to take about nine months for your application to go through mm, yeah. and doing all the exams and everything and. Um, but I remember just sitting in a room full of other hopefuls and um, you had to go do the exam. And uh, we all did the exam and the chief asked some people to leave and some people stay. And he basically went, don't look at anyone as you leave because they're the people that failed. Just pretend to be really upset. And you, <laughs> so we all walked out looking down on the ground and uh, you could, and bless him. I don't know if he was just, you know, really bored, but you could see the people like, yeah, we've made it. As you walked out, and I felt uh, hopefully all those people got in at the end of it. But um, it was a different, but it's a different. We can't do that now. My God, be be fired. Um, but uh, yeah, it was um, it was a different. It was it was inexperienced. The whole thing from start to finish. 
So, uh, thank you. So, right, you get you get to your training. I, I know we were having a chat about the different branches, like Army, Navy, Air Force, and the difference in in. I suppose there's a, a commonality in the psychology that you've got to get through, but I think that there's also it's got its uniqueness. So instead of I'm your mother now, which is what my sergeant said to me, what happened when you walked over that threshold into training? I think shock uh, more than anything um, because I had to iron clothes. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, I think, you know, I was prepared for most things. Like, I think I think the thing I wasn't prepared for was the amount of people that dropped out within two days. Like mm. the people that turned up, got the head shave, stamped the boots, and then... Uh, decided it wasn't for them after two nights. I couldn't get that. I didn't get that kind of logic of of coming all that way and just giving up so quickly. And um, and I think as well that that transition from civilian to sailor that was done in the first week was done very well because it you didn't know. It, it literally was boom, boom, boom. You didn't know what were, what was catching you. You know, you were up at 5.30, you were bed at 10, you were... You know, you had to learn what kit was called, learn names and ranks, insignias, types of vessels, you know, and it was that. But then I realized that that's what I'd missed. My brain was starting to be used yeah, and yeah, yeah. my my legs were starting to be used. My mm. arms were starting to be used, you know, and back in those days, you know, I was I was 20 years old, which I was quite late joining, but yeah, yeah. I hadn't really had any mental stimulation in so long and for and at long last I had it you know and and, and thank, thank you for that what, so what was it about because you, you said right that uh, you were more of a girls and a fun guy rather than the exams so what were you were you in the process of going off the rails or, or were you going to keep on mm. the rails just about or what were you doing I think it was. Um, I wasn't on the rails. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't doing drugs. I wasn't anything like that. Right. Um, I just, I think I was one of those guys who thought that they were right all the time about mm. things they weren't. They weren't. You know, I had no interest in politics. I had no interest in the news and everything else at that age. I just wanted to go out, have fun, talk about crap. And, and it yeah. was just endless. But then you sort of, when you're sort of going to the same, it was a dreary day job. You know, I'd work in recruitment or I'd work in sales or I'd, you know, it was just dreariness every day. There was no excitement. I I never earned enough money to go anywhere. I wasn't going to go to, to the places I went with the Royal Navy mm. ever well, with the way I was going. And I wanted to see the world. And, you know, that's why I sold everything. I sold everything I owned and went to America. And um, And that was brilliant. You know, I really enjoyed that. I met lots of lovely people, mostly American Navy, funnily enough. Um, and it gave me that freedom as well because I had no support network out there, right. you know. Um, and it was me on my own with what I had. And that I'd never had, you know, with, when you're on the dole, you just wait for the next dole money, don't you? Yeah, yeah, Where, yeah. When I was in America, you couldn't do that. You know, mm. there was nowhere to sign on in America. Yeah, I yeah. literally had where I had. I loved it. You know, I had fun. It was a different kind of atmosphere, a different kind of place. I mean, I walked around the city every day. Um, I lost weight, believe it or not, for America, um, because I was literally rationing myself, making sure I wasn't spending money. So that when I got to the military, I was I was there. You know, I was you know I was a little bit fit and I was ready, and I had a bit of a 
a mental clear out in America to to prepare myself for where I was going. And because it, what I realized that it was going to be the start of my life. Good. It was going to be the yeah, and it had to be. Right, excellent. So now you've got through the first week of training. What's your second week looking like? And what's what's the attrition rate of the people? How many joined as recruits? Um, approximately, I think. I think if I remember correctly, there was about 80, 80 right. people in my entry. Eight, eight, uh, eight, zero. Zero, I think. Um, I think it was 20 in each and there was four. Yeah, I think it was 80. Um, don't quote me on that. It was, it was yeah, you know, yeah, 22 yeah. years it's, ago. It's just a good uh, idea. <laughs> but um, I remember all of us in the quadrangle, you know, wonky berets all round, polished beret badges, creases yeah. everywhere. Um, all the right creases, of course. <laughs> um, but I remember looking around, and you know, they they assigned class leaders and mess men, less leaders and deputy leaders, and you know, you sort of look around you, and it was about. And then they started getting to the the teamwork. You were they were essentially building you as a class, not as a class, but as a team. Yeah. And then slowly, you sort of saw the people who didn't put the effort in. They weren't going to make their beds, which didn't help the team. We all got punished. Yeah, you know, yeah, It was the yeah, old yeah. school. You know, God forbid, I mean, I don't know, I doubt they do it anymore, but, you know, Christmas trees. Your beds would be outside with the counter panes around them. You know, it'd been raining and you'd gone to do your, your sport, come back, you go into the PT, you come back, and because the PO didn't like someone else, someone's bed, they just lampposted the whole thing or put all your stuff in the middle. So you had to sort your stuff out within 10 minutes and get it all shipshaped. Yeah. But, um, you know, it was that building that trust. Um, so, but surely the people who weren't putting their, their all in started to dwindle. They were walking to the bus stop over the road at HMS Rally. And, you know, slowly but surely that team cohesion started to happen. We all started to help each other. I remember yeah. a lovely Scottish lassie on my, on my course, Millsy. She was brilliant. You know, she was, um, she put her all in. And I remember us. On the last day, I know I've skipped to the end, but we were we were yet to run everywhere, and yeah. before we couldn't do it, it was awful. We we're all blowing out, but now we were just running everywhere. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. you know, and it was just so nice to see that kind of mm. gradual improvement. But by the you know second week, not do not have a clue. I think that's when we moved into our our, our rooms. I remember being an ocean mess. Uh, that's what my mess was called, and um, getting and then it's sort of like slowly but surely as it built. The third week, we started drill. Then we started getting wooden. We got wooden SA80s to practice drill with, right. um, and uh, then the next class joined next door. You know, the couple of weeks behind, and we made friends with yeah. them. And you know, late night gas mask pillow fights and all that stuff. You know, old school stuff. Um, but it was, it was fun. It was fun being supporting each other, all sitting outside polishing each other. So if someone was better at polishing shoes than the other person. They yeah. would do. They would maybe iron their shirts for them to say yeah, thank yeah. you because they were better. You know, it was that trust that I. It was that built that community that I had yearned for when I was out when I was in that small town. Yeah, and, like um, the the, bar, the bartering system. You're good at this, and I'm good at that. So let's mm. let's let's change. Yeah, that's good. And it's about watching each other's back, isn't it? Uh, yeah, completely. It's that trust. And rather than one-upmanship, it's how we're going to get through this together as a team. As a team. And that's the thing. It's like, you know, I think the ultimate goal was being guard for your passing out parade. We didn't win. We came we came second, but we chased. I remember we, I was in 
Pelu Division at the time. Um, I was at the time it was Pelu Division. We were a lot of good people when we were against Cunningham, uh, the Cunningham uh, Division. We chased them. We were like, honestly, it was like Man City and Liverpool all the way to the end of the season. We chased them all the way. And, the, you know, there was one, there were points where we thought, oh, we're going to overtake them and we're going to get this. Um, and unfortunately, we didn't. But having that competitive streak as well, which again, I think is slowly disappearing at the moment from a lot of places. And having that, you know, having that competitive was brilliant. You know, they won. Uh, sorry, go ahead. They won what? They won narrowly. They, they, they won. They won the guard. They won a lot of things. They won. Right. So, but but you know, we weren't unhappy that they won. We were congratulatory to our to our fellow yeah. Uh, yeah. entrants, and you know, we we chased them the whole way. And I remember the chief who was in charge of them coming up to our class saying, "You've given us a run. You gave them all a run for their money. You've done yeah. absolutely wonderful." And I, I, you know what? It's the the instructors. I still remember the instructors. You know. My 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 instructor was brilliant. Um, he was, you know, Smith. He was brilliant. And P.O. Baker on the drill square, well, it's probably not a cheap P.O. anymore, but, you know, like all those people, you remember them because of the impact that they had, mm. you know, that I remember Baker used to scream at us. He used to call me facials because every time I got something wrong, I'd go, oh, <laughs> um, and, you know, he, they didn't care. They wanted you to succeed. They didn't care if you were hurt or upset. They wanted you to succeed. Yeah, and um, and I think I, I I hope that's still there. I really do. Um, I think though it's a like we talk about with social media and 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 mobile phones and you know I sound like a writer, you know, but I I hope that's not lost. You know, yeah, I really I, do. And that's interesting because, but I suppose when when you joined two thousand and one, the Social media wasn't in the in the position that it is now, was it? No, no. I mean, I think no one. I think it was two thousand and four, two thousand and five. The, the the social media really took off with Facebook and my God, MySpace and all those things. So, so you and, would have seen that change over then. That's interesting. How do you think that that brought together or divided the the navy? Commenting from a from a submariner's point of view. Oh, sorry. Repeat the question. Sorry, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. Do you know? Do you know when the social media changed? So you were in before, but you were mm. also in afterwards, weren't you? Once it had started. So, what change did you see, if any? During my time, I didn't see much. Do you know why? Because I think we still had that kind of old school mentality what happened to shore stayed ashore what happened on the boat stayed on the boat what yeah, happened yeah. in the base stayed on the base yet yeah, some things maybe you know you know if anyone looks on my facebook yeah they'll see pictures of me dressed as a bird uh, a woman at the bar you yeah, know yeah. because we all went out on stag dues and that's you know yeah. and you know this was back in but now i mean i think that uh i mean i saw a great post today on linkedin where a PO engineer was complaining about the lack of support that he was receiving from his from his leadership, and a commander of um, I think he was one of the commanders at Dartmouth responded to him saying, "This should not be like this. You need to here's my you know here's my name here's my write me an email." And he was taken back that someone was taken to notice, but you know that's the power of social media now. I mean, we've yeah, got yeah, the Vivian, yeah. we've got uh, HMS Collingwood, Vivian Block condemned, um, you know, we've, we've seen all the uh, the Facebook pages about Vivian Block and the the recruits complaining about the state of affairs there. And, you know, there's a different, 
there's a different uh, mentality towards social media in the in the military now. Um, in what way? Different. I think we're very. I think the military is very visible now. I think everywhere is very very visible now. Mm. You know, and I think that it's it's important that that we remember that everything can be filmed. I mean, we've had, you know, the the Black Lives Matter marches, you know, and and things like that. These are all, you know, these are all kick- social media is everywhere, and you know, it's 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 such a force of good mm. in the world. I think as well. But yeah. it has a a very, but then it's got a very touch of bad as well. It can be abused. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've we've had Mr. Trump in recent years, yeah. um, you know. And but in regards to the military, I think when I was in, it wasn't used. It was used just to promote jollies and and yeah. and you know, oh look how great a time I'm having, and, and you know, so and so's getting married, so and so's getting married, and also it was used to keep in contact with oppos who leave. You know, I'm leaving, lads. It's been fun. Here's my I'm on Facebook if you need me. Um, and I still use it for that. You know, I'm still in, yeah, I, I'm not yeah. on Facebook or, or or Instagram that much, but I'm still I still use it to contact old mm. colleagues or you know or groups as well. So um, yeah, thank you for that. So it is interesting that good, uh, the social media can be a good force, but it can also be a not so good force as well, and depending on how it's used, uh, and, and of course without without the platforms we wouldn't be having this conversation and it wouldn't be going out in a podcast and I, the purpose of the podcast like we've discussed is for the greater good to to because i know that we're going to get stuff out of this for for you the listener that is going to give you some top tips about things and any and, and the aim and objective is to if there's one nugget that we can bring to light during this podcast. I mean, that's job done really, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing It's, I mean, I've been where a lot of people have been, Yeah, you know, and one of the, one of the things about, I mean, LinkedIn is the main area that I I'm on and it is the first line of, 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 of contact for a lot of veterans who are leaving and, and also those who are left, you know, Mm -hmm. those who have left right now, you know, it, there's a lot of redundancies going on. There's a lot of people without jobs. There's a lot of people looking for that work. And, you know, I, and to all those people, I really hope you find something because it's, um, you know, you deserve it. You know, you, I, you really do. I, and one of the things is as well, because we're going to be coming on a bit later because, because we'll, uh, so that's, that's why you got to stay tuned because we're going to have some great tips. Now, the fact is that, that what I've discovered and it's quite, it's quite, Encouraging, really, because now, uh, years ago, take me, for instance, and probably you as well, I came out, uh, what did you do in the army? Well, I was a combat engineer, physical training, real off bomb disposal. And then people would think, well, we can't use any of that in civilian Mm. employment. And yet, yet. That's not entirely true. So what I've what I've noticed now is the there's a bridge now being made when people are writing the LinkedIn profiles that mm. actually translates it into a city speak, if you like. Yeah, definitely. There is there is right. There is a big uh, wall of translation needed between what you do in the military to what you do in city street. Now you might be lucky to be applying to a job where the person who's recruiting you is a veteran and understands every bit of everything you're saying. But yeah. then 
this will be the first piece of advice that I'll say is assume that no one knows anything um, about you. Um, they don't. Um, mm. And I think that I think that one of the things about translation is I'll give you an example. Um, I, I had um, a chat with a chap who he's been in the army for 36 years. He's an infantryman. How does he can, you know, he's done operations all over the world, but, ha- but he's done nothing else. How does he translate that? You've been in, you've been in command of several men or, or several groups or several teams in high pressure areas trying to, um, you know, to achieve targets and deadlines, strict deadlines, you know, those kind yeah. of, I mean, that's a very basic one. But yeah. by trans, but 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 in his speak, operic six, you know, nine months fighting the Taliban, you know, yeah. um, in you know, in in the middle of a, in the middle of nowhere, we're armed with an SA eighty and a bit of ammo, you know. That's yeah. you know, the, but to me, that's someone who's led in pressurized environment and tried to maintain morale in trying to keep people going to achieve targets, to achieve deadlines, and to get everyone home safe. Yeah. Well, that's your that's your target, isn't it? Yeah, you know. I- uh, and it's interesting. Uh, I, I I always um, chuckle when I've seen CVs in the past. It uh, works well under pressure, can work as an individual or a team member. And I think, right, okay. So how does that how does that translate then into what yeah. you do? Whereas that guy, as soon as you said infantry, thirty two years service, I just I knew I know yeah. what sort of stuff. So so that's a great point that actually assume no one or, or everyone or no one knows anything about you because no because because you never know but also it's the public perception um as well i mean i think that right now we've got a uh, department of veteran affairs that, that you know with johnny mercer who's leading that that, yeah. that team there um yeah. they are trying their best to bring up the opinion of veterans or armed service leavers it's whatever you want to be called i know some people don't Want to be called veterans? Uh, they want to be called arms, you know, armed forces leavers or service leavers. Um, you know, they are really trying at the moment to promote what a veteran is to yeah. employers. Hence, why we've got the covenant, we've got the employee recognition scheme. You know, we've got all these um, items um, going. You know, being being thrown out there, and Johnny and the team are are uh, uh, Mr. Mercer are trying their best to try and make sure that employees know what they're getting. And what are they yeah. getting? They're getting disciplined, hardworking, trained individuals who will come into their to their business. I think, though, it's a learning curve as well for these employees because they need to learn how to ma- manage and employ veterans. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that is the biggest mindset for anyone who's coming out. It's like when you are going to be managed by someone who has no idea of where you come from, assume they're going to, you know, they're not going to get it right, but it's not their fault. <laughs> I yeah. make it sound like you speak in a different language, and it's not meant to be like that. But it is a different. It's well, it different. is, uh, and, yeah. and, the, and the fact is, yeah, they've got a responsibility to say, "Look, if you want to get the best out of me, this is maybe the way you want to look at look at oh, it." Completely, completely, and you know, I work. I've worked with a lot of veterans. Uh, my first role outside of the military was a lot and lo- a lot of veterans. We let we literally it was um, with Fujitsu and. We it was just full of veterans and yeah. um you know, lovely people, amazing setup and but the banter was still there, the way we worked was still there and you know, football at lunch times, you know, yeah, um yeah. things like that. And it was wonderful and then and a good mentality as well, you know, 
up, you know, on time, shirt, tie, yeah. looking looking the business, ready to perform for the day. And Good. um you know, and work hard, play hard mentality as well, which is great. Um, they were all gooners, but you know, can't all be perfect. <laughs> uh, um but um Gooners, just that, explain that term for anyone. Oh, so so anyone who doesn't understand what a gooner is, um, they are Arsenal fans. We don't like Arsenal fans, apart from if you're an Arsenal fan. <laughs> um but um that kind of banter now, you know, it's it's still lovely to have, you know, it's yeah. it, the, the, you know what it, I miss that mess mentality. I think that's one of the things I miss. And yeah, yeah. that uh, that disappears in the in the in Civvy Street. You know, it's yeah, yeah. it's not the same. Unfortunately it's not. Um but like I said, if you go to work for a, a company that has a lot of veterans, that doesn't need to change and it doesn't yeah. sometimes. Yeah. So thank you for that. So now when you joined going back to your military training mm. at HMS Rally, had you mm. already been chosen to be a submariner or did that come later no i volunteered straight away that was so before i joined you i volunteered for a submariner at the time they were crying out for submariners well they're always crying out for submariners i think they're still crying out for them now and i wanted to be uh i i chose to be a communicator because it said something about it and i had done it for quite some time you don't touch it uh for the first when those time in those days they didn't have hardly any it on board and uh I was at HMS Rally for quite a while because of the training, um, the training pipeline that I had. So uh, um, I finished my eight weeks basic training, passed out there, and then I went back to do some my seamanship because my branch was classed as a seamanship branch. Right. Um, uh, sniggers aside, um, <laughs> um, it was about knots and and everything else, just tying knots and throwing ropes, and it wasn't my thing. But that was four weeks, and afterwards I was um, I had my down I had. Basically, I had to wait for my course, and my course wasn't starting for another four months. So I was I went into a holding squadron called HMS Nelson with a lot of other submariners waiting for their courses. And again, it was like a little crew. We went out together, we hid together, we did work <laughs> together. And um, I worked at the armory, which wasn't really work. I literally worked in the morning, played squash in the afternoon. I was out, I was out drinking with the lads by three. Nice, um, nice job. It was, Oh, it was a brilliant job. And uh, then I got my, and then I went to HMS Collingwood to do my trade training. And and, uh, that was in Portsmouth. uh, Portsmouth. And um, again, nice people, had a good class, met met one of my my best friends in the Navy, Dave Cullen, um, who's still friends with me today. He was, it was was such a weird trip. And then I met loads of people on the way who I had eventually served with. And um, yeah, and uh, did the tank, did the submarine escape trunk tank oh, right. in okay. uh, HMS Dolphin, which is now no longer. I, you know, it was and what, quite sad. what goes on in that? Because by the way, with all with the greatest respect for submariners, I I've, I know a few submariners like yourself, and I think you're a bunch of nutters, really. We are, and and I know that you say make similar comments about the army for different reasons, and it's great banter. So. What on earth possesses you to live in a big tin can? Well, let me get it straight. I didn't actually go on a submarine for the first two years of my career. Right, okay. I didn't go. I mean, we didn't even get to go on one. Um, we would just did all the training. I mean, I joined in 2001. I don't, so 2002. Yeah, I didn't go on a submarine until 2000 and late, no, too late 2002. Right, I didn't get on okay. a submarine. So yeah, just, just under two years. Um, no, just over a year. Sorry, God, my math is terrible today. 
I think what it was, I think some people can do it, some people can't. Mm. And that's with any job. But it, it, I think people have this perception of what submarines are. And they're bloody massive pieces of kit. They're massive, you yeah. know? I mean, we have Vanguard bombers that are, are massive. I mean, you go inside them that you you can put you can stand up, you know. And <laughs> uh, I was on I was on my first submarine was HMS Sovereign. I mean, it was I mean, they are Swiss shore class boats. They're very old. They hardly ever left the wall because they kept on breaking down. You know, to be honest, that was a dark time for me in the Royal Navy. How come? Um, um, I was based in fact. I got ba- I got sent to Scotland to Faz Lane. I didn't want to go there. I wanted to be on a t- Trafalgar class submarine, and I got put on HMS Sovereign. I didn't gel with the crew at all. It wasn't their fault. Um, for some reason, just didn't gel with the crew. Didn't right. feel like I belonged. I found it very difficult to settle. I think uh, as well, they, they were way undermanned. Um, and I was one in two duties, things like that. It wasn't a pleasant environment. And um, funnily enough, uh, a submarine called HMS Triumph pulled alongside before they go, went on a deployment. And my old instructor, uh, Ronnie Regan, was on there. And he saw me and we went for a coffee and I told him everything. <laughs> and I remember him pointing at me going, oh, no, I trained you for war. I will not have you sitting there crying. I will sort this out. And within two weeks, I'd got a draft order to triumph to be to work with him. Right. Um, uh, and it was amazing um, because I literally packed my bags. I was gone, went down to Portsmouth, uh, Plymouth. And within... Uh, three weeks I was flying out to Diego Garcia in the middle of the Indian Ocean to go and join HMS Triumph. And, uh, yeah, go on. And, and it was the best experience of my life. Friends for life. Best. I mean, it was brilliant. It was for, I, I really had landed. It was where I wanted to be. It was where the Navy, I saw the Navy being. So talk brilliant. about a valuable conversation. It was valuable. And I was honest. And that's the thing as well. I think that a that honesty, which I think is very much promoted now, that honesty about feelings and mental health. And it was affecting my mental health. I was I was so depressed. I would go to, to the drafting office every day and say, look, please get me out, out of here. I can't mm-hmm. I can't do this. It wasn't because of family. I had no family to really to go back to. It was because I just had not I could not settle. I could not gel with the crew. I hadn't really made any kind of shipmates. That wasn't accepted. I don't know why. Um it was I don't know if it was a difference of opinion. I don't know what it was. My R, my RS um, at the time, Taff Bevan, who's a lovely chap, he tried his best to make me feel at home. He was amazing. He saw, he did see it as well, and he tried to help, but it wasn't to be. So, so that's interesting, and thank you for being so open and honest. Now, you mm. say you had no family to go back to. What had you, what had happened there? Oh no, nothing. I mean, uh, my family's very weird. My family's very um, how do I put it, nomadic. Um, oh, okay. I was I was closer to my grandmother. Oh, God rest his soul. So, uh, of course, I had someone to go somewhere to go back to, but I didn't look at it as a, a continual. I liked being where I was. I liked yeah, being right. out and about. Okay. Um, so you know, and I think as well at that time, military men make a nest and they tend to to make it very well. Mm-hmm. You know, I shared a room with. I shared a room with three other guys. One of them went home every weekend. The other guy had a girlfriend in the area. So I had the room to myself every weekend. I'd go out, come back. It was great, you know, uh, in, in Portsmouth. Portsmouth, Plymouth. God, I always get the No, uh, that's okay. 
I get that geo- oh. I get geography mixed up as well. Uh and because it's all sort of a family down that neck of the woods, isn't it, really? Because that was yeah. Because I that spent was, a lot was... of time I spent a lot of time in Weymouth with the uh, portable bridges, yeah, the Royal yeah. Engineers and Chisel Chisel Beach and mm. all around there. And then Portsmouth by Divers Aptitude and Plymouth and stuff. Mm. So I get it. Now so we've got you Growing up before before the Navy and maybe your family's a bit nomadic, no real route. Your grandmother was who you kept with. Then you went off because you wanted something different. Got your joining papers, joined, complete eye-opener. Then you're dropped in onto a submarine where things are down. And then you just so happened that you're focusing so much on getting out then HMS Triumph pulls up alongside, yeah. uh, and then you see your uh, former instructor have a conversation. He gets you out there, right? So now you've flown to the other side of the world, or nearly. And what happens now? Uh, well, to be honest, we went on. A, we went on a. Uh, um, we did some work out there. Uh, we went to Singapore, and uh, and for anyone watching, it's an amazing place. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, yeah, and then, and then I mean, it was just brilliant. We went to Singapore. We stayed there for two weeks, but then we got subsistence. You know, they basically gave you cash in hand. Yeah, to, yeah, I remember to feed just to feed yourself. And what did you do? You usually used it in other ways. And um, it wouldn't it be beer, beer tokens by any chance. Uh, yeah, yeah, they. That's exactly it. I mean, I don't <laughs> think. I, I think. I. I, found, I remember this uh, restaurant just around the corner from the hotel where I used to eat every day. It was like $1 and you could eat as much as you want. And <laughs> it was amazing, you know, because you were always hung over. It was just, it was so nice to be in the world where I thought wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. The Navy was, you know, I was, you know, it's the old coin, the phrase, join the Navy, see the world. Yeah. You know, it was, it was seeing the world and, and I had a great time. I, I mean, Diego Garcia, which is an island in the middle of the Indian Ocean. It's, it's, it's a military island. There's no civilians on there, um, and it was just amazing. It was beautiful, beautiful tropical island in the middle of nowhere. And I'm sitting with some of my best friends, drinking beer on an empty beach, watching turtles walk up a beach. You know, and it was just, it was just amazing. The, you know, the, I, I remember it to this day. And I remember as well, you know, when the boat was transiting through the Malacca Straits at night and the moon was massive and it's and, and the sea and everything. I remember everything about it because it was just exactly where I wanted to be at that time. You know, on the way. And then, you know, after Singapore, we came straight home. We did not stop. We steamed all the way home through, through, um, through the Suez Canal, through the Mediterranean, beautiful. Um, and then all the way back, and then we were home. And, uh, you know, we got home, and <laughs> it was just amazing. Just that it was, it'd been well, September, and we got home in December. And it wasn't that long. I flew out in September, yeah. and I was back in December. I just remember it. I wanted more. And um, the Triumph was being decommissioned to be refitted next year, the, the year after. So I stayed on it for another about an hour, another year. But then I, I grew itchy again. I was like, no need to need to get out so funny enough a friend of mine on another boat was wanting to spend some more time with his girlfriend and uh i said well i want to go to sea and i know that the boat's going to singapore so i'd like to be on that boat as well so i swapped with him and um i flew out to bahrain met my new shipmates and um 
again, friends for life. And, you know, HMS Turbulent, which tended, which turned out to be my, my, one of my career boats on, in the Royal Navy and, um, brilliant crew, brilliant people. And, uh, again, Singapore. And then I flew back from Singapore and it was, and then I did some shore jobs and it, but it was just, and did um, some more career training as well. Um, and it was just, I loved it. I was just on the go all the time. It didn't stop. It was brilliant. Uh, that's good. So, so you see, there's a contrast between the Navy and the military. I remember uh, a, a sun, the sun setting while we're digging a trench in Senna Lager. <laughs> so totally different. But the thing is that the same values are taught, mm. though, aren't they? Yeah. About teamwork, how to mm. build with the t- how to build with your mates and build a strong team. So even though different settings, still the same sort of values and beliefs. So then you, you went on, you, you exchanged places with uh, your mate, mm. you flew uh, you in Singapore, then you go, you're going to various places. What stage of your career is this now? So this is, so this is, oh, what are we on? 2003. Well, yeah, so that's the end of 2003. So sort of after a while, though, I started to question what I wanted. Um, I got all this experience. I've been, you know, around the world and and I got to a point where I didn't enjoy the branch I was in. Um, not because I wasn't interested. It was because it just, it, it didn't test me the way I wanted it. I had no, mm. no, to be fair, no, I had no interest in it. I take that back. I had no interest in it, you know, and, but then I looked and thought, well, what is there interesting for me on a submarine? And there wasn't anything, you know, I liked being a submariner, but I didn't like my branch role. So, yeah. I kind of looked at leaving. So when I got back, uh, my mate then transferred with me again, and I went back to Triumph. I was in refit. Um, And um, I was alongside the war for a long time. I did some courses, you know, just like, you know, brush up on my maths, you know, a few things like that. And I had a girlfriend at the time. Worst thing you can do. Um, And um, What, mix a girlfriend with maths? Yeah, oh, yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) Um, how many have I got? One, two, no. Um, but, um, <laughs> yeah. but, um, I then started to look whether the grass was greener. Um, so I asked for a career break and back then you could, um, oh, okay. That's interesting. yeah. And, and it was before JPA came in. And, uh, so JPA I, being a joint personnel council or something. I can't remember. Yeah, it now. That's right. yeah. Uh, um, but, um, so I left. Um, I became an estate agent for right. Foxton. Um, and my girlfriend at the time left me, unfortunately. And it kind of made me realize that I looked around me and I realized, oh my God, I'm on my own again. Yeah. You know, I've got no support again. I was good at my job. Why? Because I was effective. I didn't judge. I supported my team. Um, but then I was like, oh God, you know, I've, I've literally got nine months to go or, or eight months to go and I'm on my own. I feel terrible. I've got no, no one to turn to. Eight, um, months, eight months to go before. I, I would had to decide whether to go back. Let, let's just, and... let's just stop there a minute. Right. Yeah, because, yeah, sure. because I want, because, because typical military, right. We mm. just do, Oh yeah. So this happened and then that happened and that was it. Right. Let's just rewind Sure. Just be, to the process where you think I've had enough, 
I don't, this isn't making me happy anymore. I like being a submarine. I, I do not like being in a submarine. It's not using my skills. What sort of thought process did you go through and what challenges did you face when you're doing that? Well, looking back on it, I was immature. I, again, I'd gone back to that women and drink kind of idea of having fun. And I don't believe I saw the future implications of what I was doing. Yeah, I truly believe if I'd stayed in during that year, one, I would have retained my pension of 75 pension and I would have probably had a better career and I probably would have progressed a lot quicker. Yeah. Um, but hindsight is a lovely thing. Um, but it didn't happen. And I thought, I, again, I'd gone back to that guy who thought he knew better. You have to learn. You have to make mistakes to learn. Mm. And I didn't really think that. I didn't think, oh, you know, I, I thought, I'll succeed at anything. I'll be fine. Yeah. And, of course, I left, and the job was okay. It wasn't mm. amazing. Um, but when my girlfriend left, I realized I was on my own. And I wasn't. You know, you can call anyone and they can talk to you, but I wanted to be with my friends. I wanted to be on that boat. I wanted to be able to, you know, someone to put your arm around you and go, come on, let's get out of here. Let's go yeah, yeah. do something. You know, and... There wasn't, you know, I was in the middle of London on my own, and and, and I how had did no that, how did that feel? Uh, and I get what you're saying because I, mm. I I like the phrase failure is the feedback for champions, the f and failure is the food mm. of champions. So you so now you you're on your uppers and and you're feeling a bit cheesed off. Yeah, I was I was I was totally cheesed off. I mean, I think I'd put all my eggs into one basket, thinking this is the one, this is going to be it. Oh, you know, I'll get married and have kids. And you know, but I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't in the mental frame for that. And um, I think looking back, I wasn't ready for a career either. I didn't really consider a career. Mm. I still was in that, I know better, I'll be fine. I'm going to be a rock star, man. You know, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, um, and now looking back, you know, if I could, you know, if we all go back and speak to our younger selves, it'd be amazing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but, I did it my way, yeah, and and um, it was the wrong way. I made mistakes, and uh, I'm probably going to pay for those mistakes when I'm old because I don't have that cushy, lovely pension anymore. But it's now up to me to make up for those mistakes by working hard and getting and getting better now. Um, well, well so. and that's it. That's a great point because you've got that in the back of your mind, haven't you? And and like we say in the engineers, build a bridge and get over it. And and I've mentioned this pretty much in every podcast: build a bridge and get over it, improvise, adapt, and overcome. And there's no problem greater than the solution. So so you've recognised, right? You may you may have made a few mistakes. You've got this eight months, seven months, six months, five months clock ticking. What's going on in your mind now? Because, because right, you you probably think oh, right. you messed up your life, you messed up your relationship, you made mistakes. Where are you? Basically, I thought that I can either try and repair this, not by getting back with a girlfriend, but by trying to repair myself. So I moved in with a friend of mine and got a job at a local gas analysis company down the road. I tried my hardest. You know, I tried to find an interest in, I don't know, electrical engineering or, or anything like that. I tried to take an interest in it. Nothing was there. There was just nothing, nothing that really, nothing that really stoked me. Um, and um, it was annoying because I was, I just wasn't in that mind frame, uh, frame, of mind, uh, frame of mind where I could progress myself. I wasn't learning anything new. So I what was changed? Stagnant. 
Yeah, what you see, so you're stagnant. What changed? I was that. <laughs> what changed was I got I got in my car. I went to Chatham and said, I want back in. Right, <laughs> basically, okay. basically knocking on the door of me ex, going, look, I made a mistake. I'm so sorry. Take me back. <laughs> I was very lucky. It happened very quickly. Um, within three months, I was back in uniform um, at rally. I had to go through a couple of quick courses just to bring me up to speed. By the end of it, I was um, I was back uh, I was back on HMS Turbulent. You know, I could have I could have hugged it, and I did. I kissed the kissed it as I walked on across the brow. It was good because I realised that you had to. Uh, I think one of the biggest changes was for me was accepting that this is where I wanted to be. So when I was on duty at three in the morning, you know, before I was like, oh god, this is terrible. Think what I could be doing right now. I could be at the pub, or I could be. Instead of that, I was like, "This is my job. I'm going to do this, do it professionally, and then I'm going to go home, get some sleep, and then I can do all that stuff." You know, I started to process things a lot better. I started to listen more. Um, and one of the biggest influences was um, to come when I joined a I joined a really a really great department um, headed by a guy named Dave Smythe. Um, I had guys, Bryn Watkinson, uh, Mike Broadbank, Craig Taylor, Jamie Lawrence, all these guys, brilliant, brilliant people who we bounced off it. We argued a hell of a lot, but we bounced off each other. We all achieved the task. And, you know, slowly but surely we had uh, Jumper Collins and people like that join us. And, you know, and we started to really grow as, you know, I was on that boat for four years, you know, four massive years of my life. So I went back in, in, in 2007, the first year, funnily enough, I joined Amos Triumph and it was refit. And my RS at the time, he just basically went, listen, you need to get your sea legs back. So we're sending you to sea on a, on a surface vessel, on an aircraft carrier for, for six months. And I went, what? I was very, it was, you know, he was called Robbie Robinson, the, the RS at the time. And I went, are you joking? And he went, no, no, we're sending you to sea for six months on a on a on a we call them skimmers. So I joined HMS Illustrious for Opera Ryan in in, in two thousand and uh, uh, seven, and uh, it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. And again, I think the army have it. You all have different opinions of each other's regiments. Yeah. We're the same. Uh, we have different opinions of skimmers, submariners. We there is a a silent kind of. Oof, couldn't do they couldn't do what we do and i can do what they do <laughs> um um but it was brilliant the crew made us feel welcome we were we had um uh, a guy in charge was called paul swaby and we basically had a great time we worked really hard and it was just weird being somewhere where i could walk around it was like a big office and going on the on the on the jetty and uh, on the on the on the on the landing platforms as well um, it was just an amazing experience. Went to I, I did diving in Oman, um, wow. went to Malta, um, and it was just an amazing experience. And lovely people again, still in contact with a lot of them as well. And um, again, you know, just shows that camaraderie that comes from it. And um, it was I was sad to leave. Um, we flew off. We went to India. We flew off from India, and we went to India as well. So I went to Goa and. We worked with the Indian Navy out there as well. What experience. I mean, it was yeah. just exactly what I wanted to do again. I was right back in it. And um, we flew back 
and it's where I met my when I flew back. Um, I met my future wife, um, wow. and and um, it, and then I joined Turbulent <laughs> again. So, again. so without without because uh, I know we've chatted about this offline, without breaching any mm. classified information, official secrets that. What was it about HMS Illustrious? What was a typical day? Because I know, I know, like people watch Top Gun, and I know it's like Soldier Soldier. When I'm watching that, and I'm thinking that doesn't happen, and it's no way. And you, you always got the critical eye. But at the end of the day, Top Gun is a film. Soldier Soldier was a film. So, what was it like? And you being a submariner working with. Normal Navy guys, I suppose, or typical. Yeah, you know, you, you can call it that. I mean, it was interesting. It's a different world. It was the first time I worked with female colleagues in the military. To be fair, they were brilliant. And, you know, they shouldn't, they're not, you know, everyone's the same in uniform. And yeah, yeah. It, it really cemented my thoughts on that. A, a lot of people see Top Gun and the Americans do it very much differently. Um, but while I was on there, I, I, I got to witness... Uh, I think it was the one of the final landings of the Harrier jets on a, a Royal Navy carrier. Wow. And um and the actual the captain at the time said, uh, Oi Samaritan, tuck in your shirt and come watch this because you're never gonna see it again. And he was right, you know, we sold those to the, the, the to the um US Marines, um, I think it was the year after. It was a great experience uh, to be on that vessel because I didn't know how the other half lived. And again, it strengthened it strengthened my resolve and what the Navy can accomplish and mm. what the armed forces can accomplish. It was a massive unit working together to make it work. It was yeah. um, an enormous piece of equipment, an enormous achievement to keep it afloat. Um, you know, and so what sort because you know, typical like, like when I was in, we still had 58 pattern webbing, but we got the, we got the combat 95 as well mm. later when I was in the, the territorial reservice. Uh, so what sort, what sort of uh, stuff did you have to do? Like, how many times did you have to hit stuff with a hammer to keep it going? And see, I was lucky um, that I was. So, as submariners, we were advisories. So right. we went on as advisors. Um, so we got a little room to ourselves, and we did what we did. Um, and we were working with another submarine in the area as well, uh, one of ours. And it was, um, it was, it was just interesting. We. I could, I don't, I think it would have been different if we were in the same watches as them, but yeah. we weren't. We, we kind of got, we got to run our own routine. Right. And okay. I, I don't think it would have worked otherwise because submariners like to do their own thing. And we yeah, yeah. felt that we wanted to do that. And we were, and because we were part of a submarine advisory team, we had other, you know, we had senior officers and everyone, we were protected throughout the hill. It was quite nice. But it was just really interesting. I mean, they did, classes presentations uh the gym was on the flight areas and you know you were working out next to missiles you know and things like that and it was it was just a, such an interesting area to go to and and you know they had a laundrette you know they had a guy doing the laundry you know that was weird as well and um but i'm so yeah. glad i did it i'm so glad i got to experience that so how many how many times because I'm, I'm sure uh, and I've had this conversation as well about, you know, because we just know as soon as we've got an idea of who we serve with, we've got a pretty good mm. idea of what's happened. Maybe some, maybe you might be listening to this and not have any military experience. So what sort of stuff, like, did you, 
What sort of close shaves did you get or, or on drills or anything like that? Do you know what? None, really. I've been very lucky. I think, the, <laughs> I think the closest shave I've ever had in the military was when I was in duty in Brest in France on HMS Triumph, just as she was coming in. And we were docked in a very old dock. Um, we're talking, you know, I think it was Second World War or, or something, but you have to supply a lot of services to the boat, like fresh water and everything else. And um, because of there was a certain way of lining up our systems alongside, this is probably a very boring story, we got instructed on how to do it. You know, you have to open it up slowly. You have to open mm. this valve, close this valve, and it lets it pressure. I can't remember what it was. Needless to say, I was a bit hungover, and I don't think I listened very well. So I was on... Uh, I was on trot with, I remember it, with Patsy Palmer, a guy called Patsy Palmer, and uh, big lad. And um, I had to go and open up the fresh water. And he said to me, you do remember what, how to do it? And I went, yeah, it's fine. I, I remember. It's, it's totally fine. <laughs> anyway, I didn't remember. So I opened <laughs> up the valve, and all of a sudden you hear this rumbling. And you hear this, and Audrey starts to kind of shake. And he's going, switch off, switch off. I thought he said, turn it up. <laughs> and I turned it up. Needless to say, there was a massive bang, massive explosion. This hose went flying, missed him by inches. And I'd basically blown up this whole water pipe area. There's water shooting into the sky. And I'm just standing there going, crap. And um, this, now I can admit this now. It's quite a few years later. Um, so if the French government are listening, I, I take no responsibility. <laughs> um, um, but one of the uh, engineers on board Sharky Ward, bless him, he covered for me by saying, oh, I found a, I found a, uh, I think it was a nut or something. He just said it was worn away, so it was going to happen anyway. And he looked at me and went to say, no, we're not done. You totally caught that one up. Um, but that's the kind of thing, you know, that's the only near miss I've had. Um, sorry, that's a bought. Well, we won't, we won't, we won't hold that against you. I'm no, sure, that's, that's, I'm the sure, only, that's the I'm sure there's worse things that have happened at sea. In fact, recently the guy put the wrong chemical in, didn't he, for the desalination on that oh, ship? Oh, did he? I, I haven't heard that one. I haven't yeah. heard that one. I, I, I mean, to be fair, you know, there's been a lot of things that have happened on board. Um, you know, there's always, you know, a piece of machinery smoking, and of course, we set the alarms off. We have atmosphere monitoring, you know, and and no, a lot, and unfortunately, we've um, we've had accidents on board submarines where we've lost good people. Mm. Um, and me, how, do, how does that affect morale? Sad, sad, sad incident. Yeah, I mean, Tyler's was the big one. Uh, Tinu Can and Tony Untrod. Um, you know, that was that was a very. Uh, I knew Tinny back in training. He was a lovely chap from from Birmingham, and um, it was sad. It was just. Um, it was. It's one of those. You don't expect it to happen to people mm. or you or your you, people you know. Um, and, you know, I've got friends who are on that vessel and, you know, they did such an amazing job and they tried everything and um, and they're still amazing people today. You know, I, I, I'm still friends with a lot of them. And, and you know, it's it's sad and it's, you know, these submarines are, are not safe things. And um, But it's annoying when you do everything right Something always goes, and something does go wrong. And on on the grand scheme of things, you know, I'm glad I joined the submarine service because another reason I joined the submarine service, I wanted to work with professional people mm. who I knew would have my back, yeah. and that was one of the biggest reasons I joined. Yeah, I'm just proud that I, I did it. I'm, Good. I'm proud. I'm proud. I, I I wear my dolphins with pride still today. And thank thank you for serving. 
of course. Oh, so, thank you. No, thank you. So you've flown back, you met your wife, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, was that was that love at first sight, or did did she just blow you out the first time, or what happened? Oh no, she blew me out the first time. No, yeah, it was hard, hard to get. No, it was um, it was definitely a, a, a long. But no, it was great. We, we um, yeah, um, her name was Rachel. She was uh, an amazing woman and mother of my daughter Molly. And uh, yeah, she she was an amazing woman and. Um, we we were together all through my turbulent my turbulent years as I call them not because they were bad because I was on eight from S turbulent and um, <laughs> but, um good yeah but um I had a good I had a good time on I was very lucky to be on the boat that I was on we supported each other I was glad that my friends were with me and you know we went on a workup which is basically uh, training it's uh, training to make sure the boat is ready to 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 be in operations and. That was the turning point, actually, where the boat for me, on a, on a professional scale, because um, the leadership team changed, and um, we um, we had a really um, pardon me, I'm trying to swallow. I might need some water in a minute. Um, well, well we, I'll tell we, you what. Well, I'll tell you what. While you while you do that, I'll just ask you another question, right, uh, yes. Rachel? Was she serving or civilian? No, 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 no. Oh no no she was very much she was very much a civilian right okay um, yeah. and uh, but she was a very nurse so she was a registered very nurse and uh, and um, yeah she it was a yeah I mean again it was I think in everyone's military life you sort of look at the chapters in your life yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and 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 it was a wonderful uh, it was a wonderful chapter in my life and that time was a wonderful time you know I was on a on an amazing boat. Um, and um where did you sail with... where did you sail in her oh uh unfortunately not that much we did work up i went to first lane a couple of times and and uh, uh portugal yeah i did go to portugal that was fun All right but um but like i said you know it was about work up away 2008 that the leadership team changed on hms turbulent um and that was the turning point for me because the boat became this entity this community this partnership um with the change of the command team we had uh the exo gareth jenkins caught um joined and the captain was ryan ramsey um and for a lot of the men on board that submarine that was a turning point for them where they realized they were in the right place at the right time because the boat just became an amazing unit where uh um the captain brought a sort of a mentality was you know your boat your mates we work together we get through these things and gareth jenkins as well was just he's kind of the sergeant major he was uh, although i would never call him because i think he's a captain now but he he managed to maintain a level of professionalism on that boat that was unsurpassed and you know along with my boss dave smythe another uh the chops ts the chops s you know all these people and the coxswain as well, Paddy Parsons, an amazing, amazing man. Um, again, maintained the morale of the, uh, the crew, maintained the crew itself, was a, uh, amazing people. And all of a sudden, we had this great leadership team. It listened to us. It fed down information. People knew what they needed to do, when they needed to do it. People didn't think. They knew. They worked together. And, it, and you know, the crew became an entity, a force to be reckoned with. And I do believe, and 
probably every boat thinks it's. I do believe we were the best boat from 2008 to 2012. Without a shadow of a doubt, we were the best boat in the fleet because we achieved things. uh, We achieved things. So, yeah. So, so now you've got, you've rejoined, you've landed on your feet. Mm. Everything's going great. You're on HMS Turbulent, best part of your life, met your wife. Things are going great, 2012, and then what What happens, right? So you're a member of such a great team, right? Everything's going right, and then what? I decided to I decided to change it. Right, okay. <laughs> so I, so I, I had an interest in going into the medical branch, and um, it had been around 2010, and I'd applied to change. And um, I won't lie, at the time, I wasn't the fittest. I was struggling to pass fitness tests. But when, but Dave Smythe, again, really good guy, he said, right, you want to transfer branches, you need to get fit. So I got pushed. And I think it was my my mate, Jamie Lawrence. Um, he went, he signed me up for the Plymouth Half Marathon, the bastard. I'm, if I'm allowed to swear on this. And, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, and you I, are now, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah man. And I went, okay. So it was really enthusiastic the way you... It was really enthusiastic. Okay. And... Um, yeah, so I got fit for that. And before I knew it, I was passing my fitness test. I was happy. And then my branch transfer came in, and it was um, it was 2011, in fact, sorry. So 2011, I got my transfer, and um, I left HMS Turbulent to, to start my uh, my medics course at uh, Keogh Barracks in Aldershot uh, with the Army and the... Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, and I off, off I went, and... Uh, it was again, you know, good class. I ended up for the first time I worked with <laughs> with Royal Marines, and what a bunch of characters they were. Um, yeah. I think, and the chief as well uh, was brilliant, and uh, the whole staff. Um, Rab Butler was our, our chief, um, an amazing guy. Really tried hard to protect us from the army regiment. Uh, the army, unfortunately, uh, the camp at the time was run by a major. From the para unit he did not like marines um at all um and our marines gave him a reason to hate him basically uh, hate, hate them basically um uh, but they were really good i mean this is the thing as well working with marines showed me how professional they are um and how dedicated they are to to the core and um and I would never say we compare them with the submarine service, but uh, because they'll they'll kill me. Um, but um, um, well, you you, you it, almost said it, so I think there might oh, be a no, place oh, no, 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 no. There is now, but no, <laughs> I found that I found working with them was very, it was very enlightening. They pushed themselves to get where they need to go. They they pushed themselves more, but they they didn't just go one hundred percent. They went two hundred. You know, if if they felt they, that that the run wasn't hard enough. They'd stick another load, another load of weight on just to make sure that they could feel the pain, yeah. you know, and things like that. I was like, oh, God, they're mad. But again, professionals, consummate professionals the whole way. Um, and they, they led each other and worked together. And it was, you know, if one of them was having a problem with an exam, they'd all stay together. They'd all work together. Yeah. And, yeah. and it was very interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, I did really well in my studies again. Going, um, for me, that was an introduction to being studying again. So I studied hard for that, mm. for that to pass that course, and I did. And I, uh, you know, 
not that it means anything now. I came top of the class, in, and you know, um, well done, congratulations. Yeah, thank you, thank How you. How much did I that cost you? A lot. Uh, <laughs> I got, a li- but I got a little medal. It says, "Oh, that's great!" Yeah. Top of the class. But so you know, it was, it good. was worth a couple of thousand quid. Then it you looks like been... it looks like it's been stolen from a pub that's had it since the sixties. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it, it's fine. Um, but I, I then went and did my medic time in Portsmouth. So I went back to Portsmouth again. Right. Okay. And I loved it again, being with Innocent Bay again, brilliant people. And I've been very lucky in the latter stage of my naval career to meet people the way I do. And I worked in a sick bay that was full of brilliant people. A lot of people have just come back from Afghanistan. Um, right. you know, um, how did how did that affect you and how how did it impact the the guys men and women that were injured i think from my without, without I, you know i think from my experience of dealing with those who have come back from 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 conflict who are injured <laughs> i think a lot of them are just happy to be there mm. with with you and most of the time, um, we had a physio or a service there, and they come in, they get massages, and or you know they get the the, the physio sessions. Yeah, yeah, and they were just full of laughs, full of tr- because to be fair, they, they're home, and you know they don't let you see that. That was a time where it, you know where they they were just building the uh, the rehabilitation center in Plymouth. Um, right. That wasn't yet ready, um, and a lot of these people weren't getting the help they needed just yet. I mean, the military were trying. But they weren't there yet, and um, I mean now the facility is amazing. I hope that yeah. you know it's 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 doing it's, it is doing wonders. And uh, but from my point of view, you know the the lads and ladies that I work with that were there, lucky, you know, not they they um, well they say they're lucky. They were medics who had to deal with those firsthand, mm. and I I felt you know I looked up to them because I hadn't had that experience of yeah. being in a war zone or seeing that kind of injury or dealing with that, you know, there were people that were saying, you know, they were on a helicopter, the guy would run off and he'd just disappear in a plume of red smoke, you know, things like that. And you'd be like, my God, mm. you know, I couldn't imagine being in that environment. And uh, uh, one of the LMAs, Chris Jones, he'd been uh, there as well. And, you know, he was, he didn't talk about it much, but, you know, you could tell he, he worked very hard over there as well. And, you know, a lot of them did, and but they came back and they they were you know lovely people, and some of them were very good to talk to as well. But it was the experience that they passed on, that yeah. fact that they were, you know, that knowledge that that knowledge that they brought with them, the medical knowledge. You know, give it, you give it over. You know, I'd, yeah, and yeah. it was, and um, but it was the mutual respect, and again, great team, great going out with them, and and, and having fun with them, and you know, yeah. it was it was a good place. Really good place. And I remember at Woolwich, uh, where the barracks is, they had the Queen Elizabeth Hospital, and that was just purely military. And back after the Falklands, we they developed some of the best nurses, doctors, surgeons with plastic surgery and all sorts of things because we had to get those sorts of skills. So I suppose then you, the, this medical center have become the center of excellence then i would imagine not really no i think yeah it was a great sick bay i mean it was it was a sick bay it was just yeah. generally the wear and tear everyone comes in triage everything but it was i think 
it was good because the people wanted to help each other. We yeah. were training each other. We were helping each other. We were coming up with ideas together. We were doing our, our, our task books together, writing up everything. So, I mean, it wasn't a specialized area, but it was good for me because it meant that I, again, I got to work with some of my service colleagues. I got to work with the, um, uh, some Marines, you know, it was good for me. Yeah. And, uh, and it was, and it, but then, you know, after that, it was all over and I had to go to, HMS Sultan for it's all training. I swear to God, I spoke. Uh, I went to go do my radiation protection training at HMS Sultan at Rutherford Block. Um, again, where I met some close one of my closest friends in the military, Mikey Burns. Um, and um, it was it was so nice to these guys had just come out of basic training. They'd never been on a submarine before in their lives, and it was so nice to be with them and and sort of like they. It was nice to help them or give them an idea of what they were doing. So then you uh, become. The the sort of go to person then granddad yeah. Um, yeah, yeah yeah and it was you know it was we uh, we had a PO and a leaving hand PO Cali and LMA French who were training us um, you know it was a hard course because I hadn't done maths in ages and we also had to do all these complex equations but once we were through that you know we got a, you know it was we got a civilian qualification on it you know um, and after that that's it you know. You're a you're a you're a medics and mariner now, and mm. that's when you start going to your boats. And um, it, it it sort of dawned on me that I hadn't got a boat to go to for the first time in a in, in God knows how many years. And um, all the guys were getting their submarines, and apart from me, and I got originally I went back to HMS. I think I went back to HMS Triumph, um, which was um, at the time in refit, and. Um, I was just sitting there and it was, nothing happened. Nothing was happening. And in the end, they got extended. I said, I can't be on a refit boat for this long. So um, I got poached by a guy called uh, uh, Dean Reese and I went to HMS Torbay and uh, worked there. And that wasn't at sea either. I was like, oh God. But um, yeah, HMS Triumph and eventually beat it out, beat it to go to sea. So I ended up going to sea on HMS Triumph for a couple of weeks. And by then, I had my, my daughter and... Uh, um, and everything was going well. I was about to get promoted, and unfortunately, uh, the worst happened, and that was uh, my wife had a fit, and it was discovered that she had brain cancer, and uh, and that's when the walls started to come down. And uh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, no. It's, um, it's, Thank uh, you. Uh, um, but um, thank you for sharing that. No, no, no. It's it's part of the, it's part a parcel of everything you go through. You know. There are there are highs, there are lows, there are damn straight awful times, and but it really showed me that I was right to be in the military. I was supported by my boat, by my crew. I was supported by the Royal Navy as a whole. They were amazing. Right. The Royal, um, my, my boat got me off straight away and said, "Look, go home. Uh, you know, spend time with your wife. Don't come in unless you don't come in unless we call you." And they never called me. My colleagues were brilliant. My, um, my my other MA Phil Perkin was just brilliant with me. He, he really supported me, um, and um, yeah, and they you know the, the Navy got my daughter into nursery. They got a sponsorship so she would get care. How old uh, was she? They, she was eight months old. Right, uh, okay, and then. Um, we got offered a treatment at Hillingdon, which is near Northwood, and the Navy transferred me to Northwood Sitbay. 
just like that. They paid for us to move. They moved us into a house. They got everything set up. They made sure that we had accessibility. Like everything was put in for for my wife. They were amazing. The sick bay I went to were just absolutely lovely people again. I was really, really lucky to to have that because, again, you know, I think a lot, I think going forward, since leaving, I've actually met people who hated being in the military so much they don't actually talk about it. They don't want to be associated with it and they don't want to, they don't want to even discuss it with you uh, that you were in the military. And I find that so weird because Mm. the support I got was second to none. You know, it was literally, you know, if we needed to move or hotels or, or anything like that, you know, we just needed to make one phone call. You know, the fact that we, you know, I had a, a my chief MA, um, Phil, was just brilliant. And he, he, Phil Coates, he, you know, again, he was like, don't come in unless you're called. And they were brilliant. And we had the local uh, pastoral care workers were brilliant. Liz Swan, who's now on outside, she was great. Um, and, you know, they got us a, they just like one day, um, they turned up and they realized that I was washing the dishes by hand and they said, no, you can't do that. And then the next day a dishwasher arrived, you know, it was things like small things like that because they didn't want me to be on my own. They didn't want me to think because I, a military man or a military person is I can do this. I can do this all on my own. I can find, you know, I can do this. I'm dedicated and trained. I can do this. Don't, don't, you know, and it was just trying to say, look, you're not on your own. You know, you, you are supported. And, and um, isn't it interesting that, and you say you're so lucky. I, I, I mean, I, I've examined that word and I, I, I brought, I, I've broken it down into an acronym, Labour Under Correct Knowledge, right? Yeah. Because I would imagine if we did a snapshot of your career anywhere along what you've told us so far, right? There would have been times when you were being a little bit of a, a devil or uncooperative. And then there would have been times where you were doing, ticking all the right boxes and doing the right stuff. And I would imagine that using your phraseology, I bet you during the times where you were ticking the boxes and being cooperative, you were a lot luckier than when you were being a little... Shit bag, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. thank you. Uh, Thank you for finishing No, 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 it's all right. I, I think, though, again, I think that the biggest thing that kind of... It was a good thing, and the bad thing was my coping mechanism. The military have a way of when everything when when everything is going wrong, we are still smiling with a cup of tea in our hands. Yeah. Saying, oh well, don't worry, it will blow over in a minute. It's only a <laughs> bomb, old boy. Um, and, and it's very much the same. I felt with my wife's illness. I was optimistic the whole time. Mm. I said, "Don't worry, good things are coming. Don't worry, we're going to get to the other side of this. Don't worry, it's all going to be all right." And Continuing, I mean, bear in mind, bless her, she went into a kind of remission in October and and then a month later she was, um, um, she went for a horrible bout of radiotherapy and then we thought she was fine, she went back to work and then bang, it was back again and and she went really quick. Um, she, I'd say she went quick, it, it took, a, took her a lot, it took, the difference was horrible. Um, right. And uh, it what was slowly was, What? What year was this? This was 2016. So, right. so slowly, 
so she'd done three years of of trying to repair herself. She'd done so well, and I think we got about six, seven months. Um, I can't remember. I think it was about six, seven months of of, of of a remission until one day she was at work and she fainted, and then they scanned her again and it started to grow back. And they we started to do other treatments such as chemotherapy and things like that, and then it, they realised it wasn't working. And it was, I think, it was April that she couldn't walk. And then by May, she was put into a, a home, um, which was hard for me, definitely, because I thought I could cope. And it had a lot of effect on my little daughter. And then the Navy, um, but what I have missed is a, is a very big uh, thing that happened in 2015 was that I got bowel cancer in 2015. I don't do things in halves, Joe. Um, right, so, so, so I mean, yes, yeah, so really it's not looking good at this point, is it? No, so 2015, I I went with my friend Lauren to the doctors, and they said that you got cancer in your bowel. They cut it, and I just went, no, just cut it out, and let's crack on. Literally, just cut it out, let's crack on. You know, I don't have time for this. My wife still, I don't have time for this. So I went in, they cut it out, and I had a bag on. Um, I had that on for six months, um, but I was lucky. Touch wood. The doctor said, uh, you know, I was a one in a million chance. I didn't need any chemo- chemotherapy or radiotherapy. They got the lot. They literally cut wow. it out and it's done. Oh, well, congratulations. Yeah, yeah. I'm still under observations now, but, you know. And then, um, yeah. And since then, it's just been nonstop uh, with the wife. And then she, she. Uh, so in going back to her, I mean, she, part, uh, she uh, we moved her to our hometown of Tunbridge Wells, well, Groombridge. She to a play, a lovely place called Burswood, which sadly is no longer open. And she passed away in the September. Between then I'd managed to um the Navy had decided to call me in to see if I should be medically discharged from the Royal Navy. So in July, just before we were leaving for Greenbridge, I had a um, board, medical board. Again, it was amazing. It, the the captain who was doing it was very honest very very civil towards me he said he appreciated that my injuries i had recovered from but due to my wife's situation that he wanted to give me an option that basically said my career would go nowhere because of my cancer in everything and the fact that i had to look after my daughter as a single parent i would never go to sea i would never go on a submarine again um, i could stay where i was but I would never, probably never get promoted and everything else. And I sort of went, what's the other option? And he said, well, look, we can medically discharge you, which would mean I'd get some money, basically. And I had to think hard because, but then I realized that I couldn't watch boats leave. I couldn't, I couldn't not be with the lads. I couldn't watch boats leave. And I didn't want to have that, you know, not that I would resent my daughter at all, but no, I'd be like, I just want to go. I want to go with them. You know, they're going to America or they're going over there or they're going to go schwap somewhere. I want to be on it. You know, I couldn't do that. I couldn't be that guy. I couldn't be sitting there going, this is great. You know, it would destroy me. And what year was this? This was 2016. So. Oh, still 2016. Still 2016. Yeah. So I got said final leave. So I signed the dotted line and I was discharged two months later. Was it three months later? I think it was three months later. Um, in August by then, but so happens that I was a very proactive person. I did some resettlement courses 
um, quite like straight away, um, mainly in IT. And while I was there, I started to get used to the way that I, I, I did the CTP. And again, it's well, it's, it's really good the way it's done, but it didn't, it didn't teach me everything I needed. It was very formulated. It didn't, the CVs were very, to me, they were very stagnant. They were very square. They didn't shout to me. Like if I read that, I'd be like, Oh God, this guy's so boring. Yeah. So that's where I came up. That's where I, I didn't come up with it. <laughs> yes. This is where I invented. Uh, no, this is where I learned to translate. And funny enough, it was a chap from a company called FDM. Everyone knows who they are, but they're, they're a, they're a company that give courses and send you, uh, I believe his name was Will. And, he was talking about CVs and how they're written and how he sort of like, he, he basically went through what he did in the army. I believe he, I think he flew helicopters, but um, it was the way he was describing his roles and how they translated to today's workplace. I was intrigued, absolutely intrigued because he wasn't going, yes. And you know, me and the boy, we then did this. He was going, I was working with complex machinery every single day. You know, I was rich with cartography and the way he described it, the translation of what he did mm. into terms that we understood. I was like, I'm listening to this. Afterwards, you know, I rewrote my CV. I didn't follow the resettlement pattern. I didn't follow their, their guidance at all. I mean, some of it was good. Like the LinkedIn section of the course was all right. You know, it had to reflect, you know, but it wasn't what I I believed was going to get me yeah. a job. So I did my new CV and then I applied for a couple of jobs and um, nothing came of it. <laughs> but then I got a call um, by this chap. He said, look, I found your CV on this. I think he found it on a website or a mail. I think it was when you could attach it to LinkedIn. Right. Um, okay, yeah. He said, I like the way you've written that. Would you come in for a chat? And I was like, yeah, sure, you know, I'm happy to help. And it ended up being an interview for a job in, in with Fujitsu. And um, I remember going, you remember going, you remember him going, so how much do you want? And I went, oh, this amount. And he went, uh, hold on, I'm just going to, can you just go out there? Don't undersell yourself. Put it up by 10 grand next time he comes in. He came in, I went, oh, this amount. And he went, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> you know, because he saw that I was still kind of in that post-military shock. I didn't know my worth. And I think that's another lesson. Know your worth before you go into these places. Yeah. You're, you know, if they're interviewing you and you've spent, you know, so many times you get on the, the application form, what is your expected salary? All right. Write what you expect. If they're interviewing you, it means they're interested. It yeah. means you're in, you're in the room. They're not going to go, well, oh, is that the salary you want? Because oh, you can just go, well, you've wasted my time on yours. Do you want me or not? You know, and because you do have some control in those rooms, you know? So, again, going back to that translation, it was it was because I translated that CV into not, ex I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not an exciting read, but because it's spoken a language that people go, well, you know, they want to read it. Oh, you know, I put what I can do at the top. Oh, he can do project management. Oh, look, he does that. To, you know, he's been he's been a lead. You know, he's into leadership. You know, and um, funny enough, I took out that can work as a, a loan or as part of the team. You know, I, I took that out. 
and I put, can manage a team, can lead a team. And I strongly feel this way. I feel that any military personnel can lead a team, no matter if you're only in for four years, because you've seen some of the best and worst leadership you'll ever see in those four years. Yeah. If, if you haven't seen what bad leadership, you, you need another couple of years. Because I've seen, uh, in my naval career, I saw brilliant leadership and I saw damn right ugly leadership. Yeah. And, uh, and I was, um, and that is, that is, I've been able to carry that experience and go, right, I know what to look for. So, yeah. It's, well, it's been thank an- you. Thank you so much for that. Mm. We're covering, we, we're still not finished. I mean, and I know we could talk for days because your story is amazing. Uh, so, we've touched on your time before the military, your time during mm. the military. What, uh, what challenges did you face? And you've had a few, right? Only a few. Yeah, I would like to touch on something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's and and I know and and I know what's going to go through your mind when I ask this question. You'll say, "I've not been," because the question is, "What's the secret of your success?" I think it's how you measure success. I think an individual measures success in different ways. My success, I'm still here. Still breathing. I've got two beautiful children and one on the way. I've been able to build myself back up from the disappointment of having a career gone, a wife gone, you know, nowhere to live. And I've managed to build myself back up to a point where I can hold my head high. And and I may not be the highest earning person. I may not have a Bentley in my drive. I don't care. I'm not one of those people. I don't measure success by that. Mm. I measure success by the fact that I can still hold a conversation with people such as yourself. You know, I can still be interested in other people. I'm not inward. I do not consider myself above anyone. I measure my success based on the fact that I'm still here. I still speak to so many people, some I've known for years and some I'll meet tomorrow. And I still hold interest in everyone. And I and I, I really do measure success in the people you meet. And I, I've met some wonderful people. Um, the, uh, I'll give you an example. You know, since I I worked, I, I started a May Tech in, in in January, and I've met uh, the wonderful people at Lupin, which is a wonderful company run by two uh, Royal Marines, um, ex Royal Marines, sorry, um, which helps uh, be, you know monitors people's mental health in workplace. And again, brilliant people, entrepreneurs, strong minded, strong willed, but not ashamed to show the downsides of their lives. You know, people like that. Again, you know, even the the, the people that I I meet. I, I've worked with my, 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 my old shipmates as well. You know, I know that are still serving. Uh, I've got a friend, Jay Wilkinson. He's, you know, he's going to go outside soon and, you know, he's looking to the future and I, and I really hope that he succeeds because he's, he, you know, I'm proud of him, you know, as, a, as an, ex, as an ex colleague, but as his friend, I'm proud of him. So I measure that success. I, I don't say I, I absorb other people's success. I want them to be successful, yeah. but by, by knowing them, I feel successful. Yeah. I may not have acquired riches, but I've acquired people in my life, and I'm very, very, very privileged to have that. Which, of course, are riches in themselves. Mm. So 2016, travesty in anyone's measure- mm. measurement. So what happens then? Right, you've got one one daughter, young, young daughter. Uh, you've been offered the medical discharge. Uh, so you say, yeah, I'm taking it, and then mm. you move and what happens? I think I'll go 
straight there and my wife passed away in September um and I broke um like any person would I broke I was broken um um my daughter was very young and but when you're bereaved you can't hide things like that from your mm. child you know they know you're crying you know I was I, um maybe I drank too much I don't know I tried to get therapy uh I then eventually left Fujitsu because I couldn't take the commuting all the time my daughter and and then um and then the money came through from the Royal Navy I did one smart thing I bought a flat <laughs> for me and my daughter I I got a job um at a local uh, at a CRM recruitment agency and again very lucky to have met them I think I got a lot very good exposure to something that wasn't military based there was no military there was no veterans there was nothing it was a business it was a startup it was it was a company trying to go places and it was ambitious and it was and but the people brilliant people and uh, again I stayed there till the February. So I started in November. I stayed there till the February. And um, the project wasn't for me. And it takes, I mean, it got to a point right now, this is not for me. This, But they were very good about it. And we both exchanged that pleasure. We parted on good terms. We both said, this isn't working. This relationship isn't working. I'm going to go. And they went, yes, you, you know, fine, brilliant. We, we're happy to support that. We're sad to see you go here's some here's a month's wages <laughs> you know um and then i realized i had nothing so uh by then i met my now wife um she was an old friend who i hadn't seen in years and we bumped into each other and um we never really fell apart we never really stopped being each other and uh so we started that kind of life together it, it was hard because being with the bereaved man is never easy because you feel like you're competing yeah. against another a woman who's not there. But she was wonderful and she still is. And um I went to go work at a um nuclear power plant uh in Dungeness, uh, in the decommissioning Dungeon SA project. A, a bit of a baptism of fire because I went as a contractor. So I, you know, if you're going contract to people do your research uh, on two accounts and taxes and all that and the HMRC. Please do your research because I didn't. And my God, it was a nightmare. But it was it was hard work. It was up at four. Uh, up at four. There by seven, you work ten hours, then you're back home by seven the next day. You know that night, um, and then um, and you did that four days. So I had Friday off, but it was hard work um, because I wasn't. I never saw my daughter hardly at all. Mm. And my Sophie, my girlfriend, had to become a stepmom for the first time, and it was very difficult. Very after. Difficult. And how long had you and Sophie been together at this point? A couple of months. Wow! But she, I'll say, she volunteered for it. But you know, what's there not to love? Um, but um, <laughs> yeah. but um, she was she was amazing. But we both discussed it, and she took it on, and. And it was hard work for her because, you know, how do you take care of a bereaved child? And she did wonderfully well. And But um, the contract was for a year. And in that year, me and... uh, So me... So it went to a year. Me and Sophie got married um, in that year. Um, And then... um, And then the contract ended. And I went, oh, no. Uh, It was when the the government basically 
withdrew all the contracts for the nuclear sites. And I was like, great. Um, but one of the things about working on the nuclear site was that's where I met a lot of people who hated, who were from the military, who hated being in the military, who didn't want to talk about it. And there were veterans there, but they didn't mingle with each other. They right. didn't want to. I found that very weird. It was the first time, because like usually veterans kind of like, hey, mate, oh, you were doing this, you were doing that. They want to talk. None of them wanted to do it. None of them wanted to talk. No one wanted to be friends. It so was a what doggy brought dog. that on? Did, what brought I that on? I think it was bad experiences. I think some of them had bad experiences. Right. Um, um, because of where we were, they were all submariners. Yeah. Um, and, but, yeah, you know, I'm not going to pull any punches. There are some people that do have a bad experience in the in the submarine service. If it's not for them, it's proper proper bad. You're literally waiting to leave. Yeah, yeah. You know, once once that hatch is shut, you know you're stuck there with people you may not may or may not like. You might be in a job you hate and you can't escape, and you grow to resent it. And when you leave, you don't want to think about those times. Totally get it. Um, but this place was full of them. I, I was the only one who liked the navy. Um, you know what? You know, I was the only one who wore my veteran pin. <laughs> um, Ah, so you must have you must have stuck out like a sore thumb then, like a sore thumb, like a sore bearded thumb. <laughs> um, but really, you know, again, met some nice people, and you know, it. I was walking around all day, you know. I was there was never a time there wasn't anything going on, and um, it was a very strict environment as well. There was a lot. Of, there was a you know because of course they're trying to achieve targets, you know. So. Um, but then, um, yeah, the contract ended and I realized for the first time I was without a job and that was the first time I've been without a job since 2001. So, okay. uh, very scary and, and time. What year, what year are we in now? That we're in 2017, I think. Yeah. So that's 16 and, years. Oh, no, 2018. 2018. 2018. Yeah. So that ended and, uh, not to be put down, I, I thought I'm going to get some temp work. You know, there was nothing going on, so I'll get some temp work. And I actually got a temporary job at a company down the road called MFTS, working for a, a, um, a great, again, just really good people. Um, and um, the main boss, Fraser, uh, a really, really clever man, um, business-wise. Um and um, working for another guy called Ben Kapath, who, again, really, really clever, really straightforward, but really good salesperson. Like, wasn't the gift of the gab. It was his, he knew what he was talking about, and people knew what he was talking about. Um, so I did some temp work for them. I was just literally just trying to fix their database or just going through the database. And... Um, I was on the phone straight away and, you know, they were listening to me on the phone or, you know, no fear, you know, and I, I got called and Fraser goes, you know, would you like to come work here? You know, try and build this business, MF Telecom Services with Ben. I was like, yeah, I would. You know, I really would. They they offered me a decent salary. wasn't more than, it was less than what I was on, but this was an opportunity to build something. And I, I felt that I could build, help build this business. So I became their operations manager. That basically meant that I did not only a sales and account holding role, it did, you know, pastoral work, you know, um, policy, procedure, every, you know, things like that. So that meant that Ben could sell. Yeah. Um, and, 
you know, we had a, we had uh, two engineers, and uh, it worked really well. We did, you know, I, I learned about the comms industry, um, you know, about SIP and, and PBXs, which are just basically phone boxes. Um, but, you know, I learned about mobile contracts, things like that, you know, something really small like that, but learning to sell again, talking to professional people, you yeah. know, but and slowly but surely I built my pipeline up and I was working, me and Ben were working together. We were getting, it wasn't like, oh, I'm a salesperson, you're a salesperson, we're going to beat each other. Whoa. It wasn't yeah. like that. You know, like ring a bell, made a, no, none of that. It was, right. it was, we're going to work together to build something. We're going to work together to make this a profitable company, a reputable company. And that's what we did. And we worked together and, and we, we got some really good, business um we, we 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 got we worked with some with some great local companies some great national companies some charities as well with some brilliant some brilliant charities as well and the engineers grew as well we managed to hire another guy as well freddie to do it so we started broadening out our it um we started to transfer into more so enterprise products for our company such as salesforce and things like that and we started we started to, to grow. Um, and then um, COVID hit. And um, lo and behold, we were successful during COVID um, because, we, because we were a telecoms company. So, you know, like we were talking before, everyone started using house party because they had no idea what Teams was. And, oh, what's Zoom? You know, and people were using house party. We went, well, hold on. Now, we you know, we've been promoting remote products for so long. Now we can actually, you know, sell these products or give these products to our clients, you know, help them. And we started to call everyone saying, do you need help? What's going on? How are you going to run your company? Can we help adapt it? You know, we were coming up with a way of adapting the companies that our clients to be able to, to operate. No one else was doing that. They said, Oh, no one else does that. We were calling, we were calling everyone, even the people that weren't saying, look, do you need any help? Local companies, hospices, homes, you know, things that we said, look, do you need anything? Let us know. Old people sometimes we were like, please call us. So you how know. many were in the team then by this time? So we had so we had uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, six people in the in the team at that time, and we were just it was just busy, nonstop busy. We didn't let anyone go. There was no redundancies. We were just we just kept busy. We kept our we kept our re- reputation going. Yeah, we might we might not made a profit, but we made an impact, and that's and that was. I think working for Fraser and Ben taught me that, I mean, Fraser was very clever. Fraser managed to make sure that we could stay in business and Ben did as well. And I think that for that, I can, I'll be eternally grateful to them because they worked very hard to do it. And they probably fall, fall and I, I definitely think they fall went uh, for, they didn't get paid. I think they, they, they didn't get paid themselves to, to survive, you know, and it worked. And, um, so we went through COVID and it was about that time that I was getting bored of where we lived <laughs> in Tunbridge Wells. So me and Sophie, who is now my wife, my wife, went, let's move away somewhere. And we sort of looked at it and we went on a trip to Lincoln. And her dad was, was thinking of moving away as well. And we sort of, Lincoln was lovely. It was like Holland. Everyone spoke English and um, drank the same drink. It was lovely. It was like a foreign country. We loved it. So we decided to move to Lincoln. We bought a house in Lincoln and we moved up and, MF were like, go, you know, we're remote, we're remote, you can promote the company up north. And I went, yeah, sure, no worries. That's what I did. And um, 
you know, we got more business as well. We were we were hammering it that year. Um, and then, you know, I worked hard. I worked very hard for, for MF because I wanted it to succeed. And then I got to a point where I thought, I I can't go any further. Mm. Um, there is there is only so much I can do from my professional way. I need to step up. It was like uh, I saw a job for an operations manager, and I, you know, we, I think we've all done it. You're on LinkedIn, and you can't help but apply for a couple of jobs while you're on LinkedIn. Well, oh, you know, I've always wanted to be a, a lion tamer, um, and you send your CV. Um, but one of the adverts caught my eye was. I miss the greater good. I miss doing something to improve life, improve um, the way that, that things are done. And this one advert, this advert caught my eye. And the CEO, Rory, was saying, you know, he wanted to improve, I think it was his mother was a nurse, and he wanted to improve the services that were, the digital services that were were, 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 were basically slowing things down, slowing yeah. nurses or slowing. And I liked that. And I liked that. And I looked at what they did and I saw how they were growing and what they did for like uh, the NHS, uh, the DVLA and places like that. And I went, oh, I'd like to be part of something. So I applied and I got the job. Um, I was sad to leave, but to be honest, I got, you know, they were with, it was with MF's blessing. You know, they were like, thank you very much for everything you've done. I'm still, I still talk to them today again, you know, you know, just because you want to be successful doesn't mean you have to shit on everyone and mm. sticking two fingers up on the way, you know, it, it's not like that. And, um, you know, I'm still, I still talk to Fraser and Ben today and the, and the engineers, Ben. And I know that, uh, Martin, who's one of the other engineers, he's just gone on to bigger and brighter friends and Freddie's, uh, Freddie's still there as well. And, you know, it's, it's nice to know that people are there and still maintaining it. And I hope they're doing well. I mean, I don't inquire about how, if they get any bigger, I don't do that because that's not fair because they don't have me anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but again, it was a good impact. It was good exposure to growing my professional acumen. You know, Fraser and Ben were great teachers as well. And I sort of look at this in stages of the people that I've worked with, you know, because I want to be a good leader. I want to be a good manager. The only way you can do that is by learning by good managers and bad ones, to be mm, fair. Yeah. Uh, I've been very lucky. I've I've had people like uh, Ronnie Regan, Dave Smythe, Tab Bevan, people like that. Robbie Robinson. Um, I've already said Gary Jenkins, Ryan Ramsey. You know, the list could go on. I remember those people. I remember their names yeah, yeah. because they made an impact. You know, I could stand next to them and learn something. Mm. You know, and I did. And, and you know, sorry, go on. What was that? No, 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 please. You no, 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 no. Right. So, so if if you were what what's coming through for me, if if you were a roller coaster ride at Blackpool, right, you would probably be one of the most up and down roller coasters that I've seen, right? Because you've been on the highs, you've also been on the lows, and what I want to know is. How do you deal with failure? Like everyone else. I hate it. <laughs> um, right. I I won't like, I'm not like, I love listening to people go, oh, I failed once, but I got myself back in there and I, <laughs> no. No, when I fail, I fall hard. Right. I am, 
I'm not going to pretend that I, you know, go, oh, I look at myself and I just pick myself up. And no, I fall hard because failure is hard. I mean, failure is 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 a big punch in the face to me because um, knowing that you can't do something or knowing that you you fail to do something is horrible, especially when your three year old can do it. <laughs> you know? But um, <laughs> yeah, but 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 then when you breathe you take a couple of marching steps back you breathe and you look at what you've done wrong and you if you really do not know what you've done wrong find someone that does and ask the question how did i get this wrong that's what a great leader is mm. you know the, you know that's what a great manager is you know it does it, it doesn't again no it doesn't have to be someone who's above you who's done the job for 20 years it could be the person standing next to you and you say, what did I do wrong? They go, oh, well, you, you, you didn't do that right. Oh, man, thanks. You know, but then you're like, well, you told me that before. Um, but um, <laughs> Yeah, um, you're numpty. You're numpty. You literally let me go through that <laughs> on my own. Um, but I'd rather have the failure and rather feel the pain of the failure yeah. and know that it actually affects me than those people who go, oh, I failed at that. Oh, never mind. Oh, it's, you know, no wasted effort. Oh, I've got you know, the pass mark 70%, I got 71. Well done me. To me, that's a failure because if you don't try hard at something, what's the point? Yeah. So what I'm saying is, is that failure, I mean, like when my wife died, I felt a failure of not being able to protect her. Mm. When I got my cancer, I felt a failure of not being, staying well while she was ill. And then I survived and I felt a failure of surviving and she died. I felt a failure when I lost my naval career. Hmm. I felt a failure for not um, doing what I should have done in my naval career, which was get promoted and, and go further in my naval career than I did. But then at the end of it, I look back and go, but I still had a great time. I still married a beautiful woman. I still had a great life with her. I still had a beautiful child. And um, I'm here where I am now. So did I learn from my failure? Yes, I did. I learned that that no matter what happens, you may fail, but you'll get it right one day. Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much for for that. And, you know, we've touched on just about everything. What what I do want to ask you yeah. is what's the importance of having a good social and or business network? I'll be honest, and probably many people will hate this. <laughs> it, I think it depends on you. I think that military people are very good at talking. Like me and you, we, we've talked for nearly two hours. And, you know, we can talk all week. And yeah. because we have this this face-to-face -face contact, building a social network and or a business network is hard. It takes a lot of effort. It's not about those people that blanket you with mail saying, I saw that you like the same thing as me. We should <laughs> yeah. be connected, you know. And you're like, well, no, that's not how it works. Just because... Mm -hmm. We have the same letters in our names. Doesn't mean we should be connected by our business network. You know, and I think that when you build a business network, you are you have to be strong socially as a military person, as the next military person, or a normal, you know, even if you're not mm. military. Yep. That strong social side of you has to come out in your networking because you can't just, if the days of the business card are gone. You know, a website is a business card. A, a LinkedIn page is a business card. Even sometimes, if you don't put your Facebook profile as private, that's your business card because people do look, yeah, you yeah. know. And 
So you, this is your business card now. So it's important that this is, you know, I'm not saying brush your teeth and but by, by the way, by the way, you're listening to this audio. What what uh, Jim actually did was point oh, yeah. to his I, face. I point yeah. to my face. Sorry, so I keep forgetting this. This is um yeah. I, in a way, you know, I've got a face for radio, so you're not missing <laughs> yeah. anything. Yeah, like um, me too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it it is important if you are trying to better your business to build that network. Do it right. Find your sample. Find your people. Don't just make friends of anyone. All right, because that's what social networks are for. Business networks are for business. If you are going to try and find your customer, make sure you're doing the right. You're going down the right paths. Best, I mean, best advice I can give you is look at groups first. Yeah. You know, local local counties have business groups, small business groups, large medium business groups, or enterprise. You know, join those. They're brilliant. Why? Because you're mingling with other businesses, but also you're mingling with other. You know, if you if you so for example, I was in telecoms. If I wanted to get to know people, I join these groups. You know, there's also BNI. Um, I think it's still going. So, yeah, so there's all yeah, there's all sorts of business networks. There's all yeah. there's all sorts of business networks. So, but the more question is, is it important? I think if you are a business owner, yes, it is. If you are someone who generates business for your company, then yes, it is. But just remember your your audience. Remember who you're. You are. You are. You know. You can't bullshit a bullshitter. If you're trying to sell to someone who sells for a living, who wants your product, be careful because you could be. You know. You know. It's things like that you have to be careful of. So it's important that you study your audience first. Yeah. So don't don't blanket mail. Don't be that person. You know, I thought you had a J on your name and thought we'd make contact, <laughs> you know. And, yeah. So, yeah, build relationships. Now, yeah. the fact is that I'm not able, I've got to be honest, I'm not able to list all the names you mentioned in no, your no. history. But what I can say is what comes through so strongly is you have an opinion about having a good mentor or coach. So tell me how important do you think having a good coach or mentor is to your success? I think it's one of the most important things because I have hidden mentors. You know, I'll give an example. On HMS Turbulent, we did a lot of command training and, and training for officers. And, you know, ratings like me would stand and watch. I'd watch Ryan Ramsey or Gareth Jenkins giving a brief, a command brief. on Just by, it wasn't meant for me. It wasn't meant to train me. It was meant to train those individuals that they were talking to. Mm. But by being there, I learned what it was to the way to talk, the way to demonstrate my point, the way to analyze, the way to come up with a picture for people to understand. Mm. But also the way to to project myself. You know, you don't want to speak like this and then tell people how to do things. It doesn't work like that. You know, you need to be animated. You need to be firm. You need to be to the point. And I think as well, having a good coach or mentor prepares you for, you know, eventualities that these experiences, lessons learned. Mm. Um, and I don't know if it's, it's necessarily dying out, the the old mentor, coach, you know, it's not like, but I think it's very hard to find in today's day and age. You know, it's very hard to find that leader you wish to follow. 
because it's a different world we live in. You know, it's um, especially in today's world, but like, like we said in LinkedIn, we're seeing a lot of people open to work at the moment, you know, and these are people that have, you know, trying to find their way again. And when, yeah. and they're trying to do it by thinking about how they've been taught or how, you know, and there's some really skilled people out there who could help companies with their staff, you know, they could mentor them and, you know, it's so important and, you know, get this experience. Now, if anyone's, you know, to the people listening, you know, look on LinkedIn for these people that are looking for work at the moment. You've got some great experience out there right now that are, you know, especially, you know, we've had redundancies at Salesforce, Sophos, um, you know, just to name a couple of big companies. These people are available right now. Do you know, to get on them now. Yeah. You know? Thank you. So, yeah. But yeah, so, it is it, it is good to receive, have a good coach and mentor. Just to brilliant. answer your question. Thank you very much. So I think that this has come through strongly also. I just I, I want you to put it in a box in in mm. in 30 seconds. Okay. How, how transferable do you think the skills are from the military to Civvy Street? Completely. That. Uh, Look at it this way. You're hiring someone who's been in a highly disciplined environment, following an ethos of discipline, of dignity, of all these, of, of you know, trained to the highest level in really hardship, hard areas. I mean, my God, if you took people for, 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 the, for the amount of mile runs that we do in, a, in, a, in an office block, I think every company would be successful. Um, but you're getting a diligent, strong mindful person who will come in, hit the ground running. Why? Because that's what they're trained to do. They don't wait to be told what to do. They get on with it. Mm. And I think that that is valuable and transferable today's society, especially today's work work areas, because unfortunately, you know, there is a, there is a clear line between um, of, of, of the way people want you to be and the way that you have to be to get business done. And military people are the best people to make that happen because you give them a mission, they'll complete it. They yeah. won't, they won't, nothing will get in their way. They will make sure they get things done. I think one of the things my current boss says is that it's, she feels great that she can tell me to do something and she knows it's done. You know? Yeah. That's the way. And that was, and that's for every job I've been in. That's and great. I think that's, yeah. So that's, Thank that's you it. so much. And then no final. Worries. Finally, what's the one top tip you would give to someone leaving the military or who has already left the military or maybe a business owner or someone who wants to get on in life who maybe is just wondering what the future holds? What's the one top tip? Oh, God, one top tip. Right. I'll give it uh, – uh, it's, not, it's not a tip. It's more of a pep talk. You are worth so much more than you think you are. All right. You're leaving a uniform service where you get, you wear the same thing every day. You get your meals. You live in subsidized apart, um, accommodation. You, you know, you have a gym membership, free gym membership, free healthcare. Don't just look at your salary. Look at how much all that is worth and then add a bit more. That's how much you are worth. Don't just go for a job to, and also do not make do with the first job that comes across your desk. You are not desperate. You are in need of a job. But companies need people like you. Do not make do. You, you, you know, 
you've crossed the river, it's time to take on the ocean. All right? So just focus. You are worth more than you think you are. James, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this because, you know, I just I just believe truly that standing on the shoulder of giants is what we do in life. Mm. And, and you've mentioned the giants in your life, and you are a giant in my eyes. So thank you so much for joining me and taking time out of your day today. It, it's a pleasure, Joe, and, um, you know, all the best. And, uh, yeah, bring on the summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs>